Man, I'm excited to be on Hot Breath. I didn't even know you knew about us, and you hit me up like, yo, what's the deal with... Yeah, I was pissed. I was like, how many times I got to be with Joe for he said, Griff, come do Hot Breath podcast. I didn't even know it was out there like that. Why is you doing it then if nobody knows? (laughs) That's some stupid shit to do. You've been around black people too long. You're starting to do black people shit, dog. Stop doing black people shit. Well, you keep doing white people stuff, too. You were just on Bird Show this morning. (laughs) Ha, ha, ha! Hot breath. G'day out there, all my hot brethren and sisterin'. It's your host, Joel Byers, and welcome to... Hot breath. <sighs> Today's episode is sponsored by Funny Monkey at Java Monkey. Devolve with host Joel Byers and Atlanta's funniest comics every Wednesday at Java Monkey Indicator. Hit up joelbyerscomedy.com or the Funny Monkey Comedy Carnival Facebook page for more details. They also have a hilarious YouTube page if you're interested. And we also have a hilarious iTunes page. Like a great review from Jucket Boy, leaving five stars, saying, Just listen to one of your podcasts. Very good, and informative, and relevant, and got some great tips for my writing. Can't wait to hear the others. Keep it up. Okay, so not really funny, but helpful. Please keep sharing all your support. It means a lot, and it's the only way I can really hear your constructive feedback and constructive love. And it's nothing but love today with today's guest, Griff. He is a 20-year comedy veteran whose career has taken him from being an author, sportscaster, morning DJ of Atlanta's V103 and 107.9, all the way to being the first American to perform stand-up on the continent of Africa. Our candid conversation traces his traumatic childhood, being raised by a teenage mom that was married nine times, and how that has helped him build such a successful family with his wife, Tony, who makes a celebrity cameo on this interview. Griff also shares one of the funniest boo stories ever shared on Hot Breath Podcast, and how he hosted a show where the audience threw nerf balls at the comedians. You may recognize that scene from my interview with Miss Pat and her hilarious booze story a few months ago. But this interview has nothing but positive vibes, which is also the name of Griff's nonprofit. So feel the heat with hot breath and Griff. Let's do it, man. All right. Well, let's let's do this, I guess. If you could just say your full name into the microphone. My name is Griff. Like, is that's it? Monosyllabic, like Cher and Beyonce. <laughs> it's Griff. It's Griff. Or- Lady Gaga, which is two. Gaga. <laughs> Griff, two trillion, secular saint, Wayne, Arlen Griffin. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, you are. Oh, you try. Oh, you sound like a real white dude. Uh, well, sir, now that we talking, um, I. <laughs> My entire name is Arlen Dwayne Griffin. I've never went by Arlen. Mm-hmm. Um, it's funny because when a bill collector calls my house, they have always said in 22 years, can we speak to Arlene Griffin? And I, and for 22 years, I've said, man, that's a dirty bitch. Let me guess. She owe y'all some money. This bitch left me with kids. <laughs> It just depends. I've cried sometimes saying, man, Arlene ain't shit. <laughs> yeah, only bill collectors call me Arlen. Like, for real. It's funny. It's no E on it, and they just say Arlene. Just I don't know. They feel feminine when they call me. Well, Arlen Dwayne Griffin, welcome to Hot Breath. Man, I'm excited to be on Hot Breath. Thank you so much. You just took, I didn't even know you knew about us. And you hit me up like, yo, what's the deal with? Yeah, I was pissed. Breath? I was like, how many times I got to be with Joe? But he said, Griff, come do hot breath podcast. I didn't even know it was out there like that. I didn't. Why is you doing it then if nobody knows? <laughs> That's some stupid shit to do. You've been around black people too long. You're starting to do black people shit, dog. Stop doing black people shit. Well, you keep doing white people stuff, too. You were just on Bird Show this morning. <laughs> As the black guy. I have to cross over. 
Yeah, it ain't, yeah. It, ain't, it ain't for you to keep crossing over. You can always go back. I got to <laughs> stay over there every now and then. How'd yeah. you get hooked up with them? Uh, Bert loved me. I've been doing Bert's show. Bert wanted to be the first morning show to do like Hot 1079 and Q100 presents Friday night. Wow. And you know what I'm saying? Yeah. In Buckhead style. And uh, I was with black folk. <laughs> it wasn't down with that. It was so awesome. <laughs> Me and Bert was going back and forth. Like, I know Bert for like a decade. Oh, wow. Yeah, Did you meet dude. through the radio? Yeah, I know him through uh, the morning show boot camps and really got closer to him. You know, um, every year they do a morning show boot camp. Probably about 350 uh, morning show, more, 350 different morning shows from around the world. And I was always oh. the only black person there. Maybe it was a couple of black producers, but normally I was the only black air personality. But I was the only comedian. You know, mm-hmm. all radio people think they funny. <laughs> and they are to the three people in the little box they in every day. But right. they not comedians. So I'm always welcoming Wyoming and Idaho and Des Moines and all these different places because I know all the morning show people from morning show boot camp. And I was going when I wasn't even on the radio, like still making, yeah, making, oh man, it's all about, it's all about relationships, like straight up. Yeah, because you started, I guess, your first morning show was at V100, V103. V103. Frank Ski. um, I started that November of 98 till about November of 2001. And you were like a sports broadcaster, kind of. You well, what it is, well. well, what it was was Frank. I had never done radio, so uh, a lot of people think I started comedy in D.C. And I was, I had won Comedian of the Year in D.C. And his, I was opening up for Mark Curry, and mm-hmm. his producer saw me in D.C. Frank Ski was a morning show in Baltimore, which is about thirty nine minutes from D.C. Mm-hmm. Um, and his his producer just happened to be in D.C. that night. She saw me. She was like, oh, I'm in front of the Frank Ski Morning Show. Never heard of him. Don't do radio. Uh, still listening. I just got this new <laughs> five CD changer thing. Oh, that's snap. hella dope. Yeah, yes, yeah. Me. Why don't I listen to radio, lady? <laughs> it's a technology age. 1997. No. Um, and she was like, we got to have you on the show. Actually, she she saw she saw me before I won Comedian of the Year, and then when I was on a cover of the City Paper, uh, uh, my pager was going off, and everybody was saying, "Man, Frank Ski talking about you. Frank Ski wants you to call the radio station." So Frank wow. had told everybody to not call, and whoever know Griff to have him call. So I called and he was like, you know, congratulations. And Tara was like, yeah, that's the dude. And he was like, man, what you doing next week? Now, I'd love for you to come in. And uh, I came in on Monday. I came in on 8, went on at about 8.30. Was only supposed to do a couple breaks and stayed on till 10. Then Tuesday he asked me, could I come again? Um, And I came on at 8. And I think I went on this time at 8.15, stayed on to the end of the show. And then Wednesday, he said, can you come again? I was like, yeah. He said, can you come the rest of the week? I said, yeah, I'll see you at 8. And he was like, no, nah, we, you know, we here at 6. We started, <laughs> you know, I need you here at like 5.45, 5.40 to go over some stuff with you. And I was like, yeah, I guess. So I sat on with him for the next three days. And uh, I didn't, after I did that for a week, I didn't hear from Frank Ski for a year and a half. Wow. Like, I actually, um, I, I I did my first big gig was Frankie Beverly and Mays outside of this amphitheater in Baltimore. This huge, and and when they gave me the gig, I think it was like a thousand dollars limo. Went and got like eight of my friends. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? I remember them saying, "Please don't talk to Mr. Beverly. <laughs> Just don't say nothing to him, the band, or nothing." And I was like, "Okay." We didn't even care. We were so turnt. You know, yeah, what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. it was outside. And I asked the lady, well, how'd you, you know what I'm saying, how'd you find me? And she's like, oh, Frank Ski told us to call you. So I saw him one, from that Jeez. incident in a year and a half. Another time I saw him at a club, and I, and I was on the other side of the VIP, like just walking in. I was like, oh, yeah, there go my man Frank. And I was like, Frank Ski! <laughs> Frank! <laughs> and he was not turning around. I was like, Frank Coles! Oh. <laughs> Frank Dog! <laughs> He did not turn around, and that's my. And then, 
And so that's twice in a year and a half. Uh, wow. And then one day he called me in August and he was like, Griff, on a Sunday. He's like, Griff, man, I just, uh, as you know, I'm not on the morning show in Baltimore no more. And as he didn't know is I didn't know. Yeah. And what is you calling me for? You know? And he said, uh, I'm moving to Atlanta. I was like, oh yeah, I just did comedy down there. You know, it's Atlanta's cool. Atlanta's fresh. He's like, I want you to be on the show. And I was like, all right. And from August, and I didn't hear from him again. So now I'm telling everybody I'm moving to Atlanta. Mm-hmm. And I hadn't heard from this dude for August 7th, September 7th, October 7th. Because I actually moved to Atlanta October 28th. Okay. So he might have called me on the 20th of October after he told me in August. Wow. <laughs> you wow. know what I'm saying? So I ain't know. I was yeah. even like, man, look, Frank, just don't call me no more. If you, you know what I'm saying? Like real low self-esteem. <laughs> And then he called me and I was like, I ain't got no, you know, I ain't got nowhere to live. And he was like, no, I'll just go down there and get an apartment. I ain't got no apartment money. Like, what you, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Me and my girl live in the basement. Like, man. And, and uh, the the radio station put me up for a couple of weeks, uh, fronted me some checks. And I got an apartment right off of Shamley Tucker Road. And uh, we went on air November 9th. And you did that for a few years? I did that for three years. They fired me. For what? Uh, it just turned into like on a low hate, you know what I'm saying? Like me and Frank, uh, a lot of people thought we was friends before, but I ain't no dude. So I ain't know his style. I ain't know who he was kind of. And then just after about a year and a half, I ain't, we just wasn't clicking no more. I wasn't really about that. Tell me what to do style, Mm -hmm. you know what I'm saying? As a comedian and just really light skinned people just irk me, dog. (laughs) Like they got a problem with me. My mom told me though, light skinned people going, hate me because oh. like, I'm dark and I say what I want. You know what I'm saying? Light-skinned people is real. They almost got like a light-skinned privilege that nobody know about. You know what I'm saying? It's really weird. And in the South, it's even, uh, being from California, it, it wasn't so much, but in the South, it's a real dark-skinned, light-skinned, oh, you know. Race war within the race. Oh, man. It's, it's, it's uh, oh, you don't even want to know. It's no, almost like Blade. Thought light skin was white, but apparently there's shades to this. Well, that's the whole thing. That's what the that's what we think light skin. Um, that's what we think that light skin people problem is is that they think they're white. Uh, Okay, (laughs) you know what I'm saying? Like, uh, just because you light skin, fake ass Obama, like you know that that type of shit. Like, so that's I mean that's the mentality. I really don't care, but I mean the getting fired paid off because then you got your own show on 107.9. You were the A team, you know? Yeah, and then so I was off the air from 2001 to 2005, and man. Just, you know, going from the number one station in Atlanta and the number one R&B station in the country and then just doing comedy. But when I got here, one thing I did, man, is I was letting it be known. I'm a comedian, Mm -hmm. not a radio dude. So since Frank really didn't, he ain't want to make me his co-host. He had to make Wanda the co-host, Wanda Smith. Right. Who's still on there. Yeah, she's still on there. Yeah. Because the city loved Wanda, and he didn't. Wanda was on before we came down here. You know, she was mm-hmm. on with Mike and them in the morning, Mike and Carol in the morning. So he just didn't want me to get into a situation where we come down there and they like, yeah, fuck Griff, bring back Wanda. Mm-hmm. So he was like, we going I'm gonna make a job for you. So he kind of made me the sports director on the low, and just from knowing sports, he thought it was cool. How I knew hockey and tennis, and he was like, uh-huh. we'll just. I'll just send you everywhere. You know what I'm saying? Go yeah. where you want to go. You want to go to Wimbledon? Let's set it up. Like, so wow. it really gave me, I went to my first Super Bowl when I got here. When I got here in November, the Falcons was, uh, uh, the Falcons was eight and one and they never lost again. That was a long time ago. Oh, yeah, that was all of 99. <laughs> then they lost to the worst team in the world to me, the Broncos in Miami. But just watching the fans uh, and how we just happened to be here when a football team was doing good. And, you know, it just worked out for the morning show. And it worked out for you. You got Georgia Sportscaster of the Year while you were doing that. Um, Yeah, I got that. That was that was pretty cool. It don't really help me. 
you know, as far as uh, getting gigs yeah, as a comedian, it's a fresh. I it's mean, a cool title, but then being on 1079, I guess, was the next big. And then 1079 was in, in, in 05. In January of 05, Ryan Cameron, who was on the morning show forever on Hot 1079, started the morning show on when the station started. Mm-hmm. And in 05, he decided to go to V. Uh, and um, so it left a seat open for the morning. Now, they didn't want me to come host, but they was like, Griff, we can get you to come co-host. I was like, oh, yeah, that's dope. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, um, they called me like January 5th, and I ain't hear from them again. <laughs> first day, man, let me tell you something. You will kill yourself crazy trying to make, you know, people ain't returning phone calls. I'm like, damn, is, am I gone? Am I on it? Am I, can I start saying I, I'm, I'm on it? Like, yeah. what I got to do? Like, And then in February, I had got a gig to go to Nigeria for the first time, Africa in 05. Wow. And it was I was gonna be there for two weeks. I had to go get my visa and everything. And I was like, well, I know what radio gonna do. Like they had me come in on a couple. They was kind of auditioning me on the low, coming in a couple days a week. Oh, okay. And I was like, well, I can't come next week because. And then I remember Jerry Smoking B, the program director, saying, "I said I gotta go to Africa." He was like, "Man, that is a dope opportunity. That's a fresh opportunity, but this one might not be on the table when you come back." So it's kind of, you know, you want to go to Africa. You want to have you a job for three. I said, well, is you telling me I got a job or y'all auditioning? Like, cause I'll go to Africa, homie. I don't know. You know, at this point I had prayed to God to really like, man, I got to get back on the radio. I got to get back on the radio. And it was really awesome to prove to Frank that he ain't make me. Boom. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Like you ain't make me. So my whole Drive was like, I got to get back on air in Atlanta. I got to get back on air. And then when I got back on air and then I was going against Frank, you know, it was a, that first year was really awesome. Told you, Frank. <laughs> You're not nothing. <laughs> I, 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 I can do my own stuff. Like, it was kind of like that style. And, and, uh, and, uh, it was just, it was, it, it was a blessing. But then at that point I knew that radio was funny and I'm going to push my comedy agenda harder. Right. And, you know, so I learned to V103 taught me radio and how 1079, I was, I was seasoned by then. And then that's another one where you kind of, it was an unexpected termination or something like that. Right. Um, they decided, well, some more it wasn't, un- it, wasn't un- un- it wasn't unexpected as everybody think it was because okay. in April, uh, on the cover of black entertainment magazine, I never forget. It was Steve Harvey and Tom Joyner. Um, it was Steve Harvey and Tom Joyner. And they were saying how, Urban radio is changing. Mm. Well, in the inside of that article that nobody read except me, it said, oh, yeah, we, you know, the owner of Radio One, Kathy Hughes' son, said, uh, Alfred Hughes is his name. He said, yeah, uh, we pretty much are going to just have a couple morning shows on, and we're going to syndicate those morning shows probably just, um, uh, uh, your boy, Tom Joyner, and Ricky Smiley. Mm-hmm. Now, he said that. Now, Ricky Smiley was just in Dallas. And then they 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 stopped the... It was a Miami had a morning show with uh, your boy that's from Miami, the comedian. What's his name? Marvin Dixon? No, Brown. Benji. Benji, so Benji Brown. was on that morning show doing that girl character forever. Then they cut that morning show and made it Ricky Smiley. Then they mm. cut my homies in Baltimore show and made it Ricky Smiley. Then they cut the Cincinnati <laughs> morning show. And I was telling everybody in Atlanta, bitches, did y'all seeing? Oh, it ain't going to happen to us. Shitting me. <laughs> you think the Miami state, like we know all our sister morning shows. Right, stuff. Right. We get news from them, you know, hey, yeah. send us our producers, talk to their producers. Uh-huh. And then everybody's all low self-esteem in Miami and in Baltimore. And then Charlotte stopped the morning show. And they was like, y'all next. And I was like, man, I'm preparing. And in August, they was like, we just going, you know, August 31st. They was like, we going with a new, we just going to go with Ricky in the morning. 
I was like, I'm cool. This time it ain't hurt. I ain't feel away. I understand. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So since uh, August 31st, 2008, and then me and my wife started our own thing uh, in 09. Mm-hmm. And you also still had stand-up going on, too. Yeah, I'm a comedian first. The, I just happen to talk for a living. That's all. You know, speaking to kids, motivational speaking, radio and all. Anything would work. I'm an orator. That's what a lot of comedians... They just want to be funny, but I'm I'm going to win a Nobel Peace Prize for, for what I do for the community. You know what I'm saying? And for communities, to win a Nobel Peace Prize, you have to make a bridge of change in different countries and continents. Mm-hmm. That's why I go back and forth to Africa to, to implement curriculums. I'm doing comedy, of course, but I'm also talking to ministers of education and how can I, you know, I wrote a book for moms raising sons. From the perspective of a son raised by his 15-year-old mother called Cats and Puppies. Mm-hmm. And the analogy is, and I did some research, that if a cat has kittens and a dog has puppies and they both have their litter within four hours, if anything happens to that dog, the cat can then raise the puppies as his own, feed it with milk, everything. But then I thought to myself, but when that puppy grows up and turns into a dog, all the cat can do is tell it things it saw dogs do. Like, uh, when somebody throws something at you, chase it. You ever threw something at a cat? They'd be so offended. <laughs> like, they throwing shit? What kind of masters do I got? <laughs> so, from that book, we made curriculums. And, you know, I do them in youth detention centers and and uh, foster care programs and, and everything. So, everything is cool. Yeah, you do the foster care. It was all out through the Positive Vibes nonprofit you have. Yeah, that's uh, something me and my wife. Actually, we thinking about Positive Vibes International um, was something. Before I did comedy, I was always, uh, uh, before I did comedy, when I was a sophomore in high school, I was in this program to help the kids in school uh, called Conflict Management. So if kids got in a fight, they would come into a room like this with a partition in it, and me and some other uh, teen counselors would talk to one dude who got in a fight, and then they would talk to the other dude, mm-hmm. and we would bring them together, and we would make them cool. Now, if they want to still trip and fight, you can get suspended, but they was coming to us first before they got suspended, so I kind of took that, you know, by my junior year, I was going to alternative schools, kids, schools where kids got kicked out, and just going up there, chopping it up with the teenager, and then I figured when I grew up, I would go to the alternative schools and I would bring comedians and, mm. and sports people and, you know, just some people to encourage these kids. Yeah. Well, in, in Baltimore in, in 1990 in 1994, 95, I found that I ain't no, no comedians or sports people. So I was just going, <laughs> I had just started doing comedy and then I end up, I mean, so I've been speaking to kids way before I've been doing comedy. Was there anybody when you were a kid that spoke to you like you are? Not one time. No. My mom was married nine times. I didn't get one word of advice from nine grown-ass black men. Nobody told me anything I could relate to another kid. And I told my mom a couple years ago, I said, Mom, you got the worst taste in dudes. And she laughed, and I expected her to say, Fuck you, who you talking to? And she said, uh, But look how many examples I gave you on how not to be. Wow. Right. We're yeah. OG comeback, right? Yeah. Nothing you can say. Damn, drops the mic. Yeah. <laughs> wow. That's inspirational. Because <laughs> she was inspiration for the Cats and Puppies movie as well. Yeah, the book I and mean, the movie the and the cartoon and everything. I mean, my mom was, uh, the you know, she the matriarch of our family, but she really made me as her firstborn son to be the patriarch and to take her lead. So, um and shout out to my dad. He live in Kennesaw. Oh, okay. And, you know, we cool now. We had a, a, a pretty tough beginning in our relationship. But, just I mean, basically, he was an asshole and mean. And, you know, I wanted my dad to play football with me in front of and take me to the park and yeah. laugh all the time. And, you know, uh, tell me he loved me. And, you know, little things kids mm-hmm. want. You know, buy me some toys for Christmas. <laughs> all my dad bought was underwear and socks. For Christmas. <laughs> and it took you 20 years, I guess, to link it's, back. I ain't talked to him for 20 years. Yeah. And then I, I, you know, 
I, I was at church one time and our pastor said on Father's Day and our pastor said, I mean, all the men stand up, all the men with that, all the men that say, I don't care about him. He don't, you know, I ain't calling him today. You do care. You care as soon as you say, I don't care about him and, you know, call him. So I called my dad after I said, man, you got some grandkids and some you know, I don't even know what we arguing about no more. Like, you know, I love you. Happy Father's Day. And I remember just hanging up and like, okay, that's cool. And we went to the Cheesecake Factory for Father's Day. And my dad texted me back. He said, man, that's the best Father's Day present I had in 20 years. And wow. I wept like my mama died. Mm. Like I couldn't even just, un. I probably lost 100 pounds on that day. And we've been cool ever since then. He still won't call me, and he live in Kennesaw. Like, he don't know how to just text me and say, I love you. So I text him and say, crazy old dude. <laughs> <laughs> Damn, you suck. I love you, man. Uh, that's how we talk. When's the last time you saw him? Uh, Christmas. Okay. Yeah, She's, Christmas. You see him periodically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I try to uh, okay. I make myself go see him once Keep, a month, like, uh, just because okay. he won't. And then I yeah. go over there, I'm like, how you doing, Dad? Uh, my hip, and I always say, I ought to fuck you up. <laughs> push you down some steps. He'd be like, no, nah, man, don't do that. Don't do that. <laughs> what I love about your relationship with your mom is she did, you know, there was some rough upbringing, but she did have some good foresight as far as she did tell you, you were the going to be the first family member to go to Africa. And now you're like, I leave on a first. Yeah. And next week the, I went to Africa seven times in 2015. You're the first American comedian to be on Comedy Central South Africa as well. No, I'm the first American to tape Comedy Central in Africa in the whole continent. Like, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And that happened in April 2013. I was blessed to have my wife, my my wife's mom and my mom. And we brought a pastor with us uh, to the show. And that was a big deal because my mom had African posters and and after my mom dressed in African garb my whole life. And we was kids from Cali, you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. My mom ain't no one African, but she just knew it was a place where everybody is free and happy, <laughs> you know? And when she got over there, probably by the third day, she took me to the side and she had all her African queen stuff on. She took me to the side. She said, man, ain't nobody wearing this shit. <laughs> Why ain't no, they got jeans and... <laughs> High heels and shit. Why you ain't tell me? I said, I just, you got to see it for yourself. <laughs> That's hilarious. It is. You mentioned pretty much it's all about connections. So what connection did you have that got you into South okay, Africa? I'll tell you a crazy story, man. So remember I was telling you about the morning show boot camp. Right. At one of the morning show boot camps that was in Nashville, I met a morning show from Auckland, New Zealand. Um, this was in, this was in 2008 in like May of 2008. And I met them and just, it's, it's Dom and JJ, Dominic Harvey and JJ Harvey. Now they're a married couple and they on the radio and they've been doing it probably now 16, 17 years. They, the, they, the Q100 of New Zealand wow. and they, uh, syndicated through the whole country. So if you don't know them, you ain't, you don't know radio, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, like yeah. they like that. I didn't know how big they were. Um, I just love Dom. Dom just had this, man, let's go jump off a building style. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> let's, let's be American. He had me cracking up. He was hilarious. <laughs> Um, and he was like, man, if you ever come to New Zealand, you can stay with us. Come on the radio with us. So when I got fired in August, I called him in January and was like, oh, I got some time. Mm -hmm. And I flew out there. My wife made it possible, man. We'll talk about women in a minute. But my wife uh, got me a ticket. Um, and it was cool how we did it because I brought my my daughter was two. And she had never been to California yet to see all my family in Cali. Only one out here is my dad. But my mama, all my brothers and sisters, my nephew, my nieces, my aunties, my mm -hmm. uncles, they all in Cali. And so I got to drop off my daughter for a couple weeks with uh, her grandma and all them. You know what I'm saying? And then from L.A., I flew to New Zealand. When I was in New Zealand, I got there, man. I woke up every day. 
for two weeks um, with this morning show, doing stupid shit. Everybody, of course, loved my accent and <laughs> taught me new, uh, you know, New Zealand. You know, one thing about comedy, I think as I think I'm a sociologist before I think I'm a comedian. I try to find the the relative norms of people, you know, and mm-hmm. then I think the common denominator that we all know as comedians is that everybody want to laugh, so they go one. But if you if you do some research about a culture, they go another one. If you learn about the city, they go another reason for them to like you. If you know where you at, they go another reason for it. so the whole thing. We just want to be liked, and it's it's a, it's a formula, you know, to be liked. But while I was mm-hmm. over there. By the third day, it's only one comedy club in all of New Zealand, and it's around the corner from the radio station in Auckland. So by the third day, I was featuring that weekend, and then the next week they let me headline. Um, and the indigenous people of and the indigenous people of New Zealand are called Maoris. Um, the Rock is a Maori. Okay. You know what I'm saying he ain't Samoan. The Maoris <laughs> make Samoan people look very small. Wow. Like they're huge human beings. Yeah. Actually, the story behind the Maoris are they're the only indigenous people on the planet to get their land back. So when the British uh, took over Australia and killed all the Aboriginal people, you know, little tiny ass black people, and then they was leaving, it was like, oh, there's another little island. Let's go. Take all that shit, too. Right. But the Maoris was waiting for him on the beach <sighs> with handmade, you know, the museum. The Maori Museum is awesome because it shows you just handmade ninja stars and spears. And, and that's where the All Blacks, the New Zealand rugby team, that's where they do the haka in the mm-hmm. beginning. They go, but basically, it's a war cry. Like, so here come all these ships. And all they hear is this, and then the closer they get, the Maoris is coming in the water, swinging shit and, you know, going against guns. So after years and years of fighting, the British called timeout. It was like, hey, let's share. Let's (laughs) both have some of this. You know what I'm Uh saying? But what was funny over there, so the Maori are kind of like the Native American and Indian. But they also like the black people because they call them the brown people. So all the Maoris live on the south side of Auckland. The people I was staying with is white people. And they was like, uh, I said, I'm going to go, you know, to the other side of town. They was like, I wouldn't go over there, Griff. Like, (laughs) you sure, man? We born and raised here. We ain't never... Man, you gonna catch the train and the yeah. bus and you sure like I said, man, I'm black. <laughs> and then they was like, Yeah, but they brown and they don't I said, man, y'all sound like regular white people. <laughs> I'm good. I'm always good in the hood. And I called uh I called my man Akon's DJ, uh, Benny Demas, and he was like, oh, man, it's a dude. We've been making tracks for them with Akon. They he liked the the puffy and the bad boy. Uh, he been a, they celebrating like their ten year anniversary at a park this weekend. You should go through, man. I went to like what would be Piedmont Park to us in Atlanta. Uh-huh. They was having an outside concert of all the biggest Maori artists over there. Mm. Man, I was on stage. I was wow. I was in. So now I'm, I got the Maoris coming to my shows. I got you know learning their culture. Uh-huh. And, uh, um, and then so the. To to end this long story, <laughs> I don't like to make a long story short. I think you supposed to embellish the long story, you know, make Dude, it good. It's all interesting. Um, the last day of my last show in New Zealand in, in January of 2010, a white lady was outside smoking a cigarette and she was like, you funny. I said, thank you. I said, she said, yeah, I'm African. And um, I'm here because my daughter lived here and I just met her boyfriend. I don't like him. And I said, I don't like him either. Fuck him. <laughs> she said, man, I can't believe I came all the way over here. To, she said, but anyway, after I talked with her and had a drink with her, she said, my husband and I are opening a comedy club in Africa. They're going to love you in Africa. Wow. And they brought me in April 2010. In 2010, I became the first international act 
at the first comedy club open on a continent of Africa in a casino in Johannesburg. So really, man, it's what just when I say all that and, and look at your face like, damn, really? Nobody called you, booked you? No. Uh, we're blessed with timing. Mm-hmm. Our, it's our our timing is our gift. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Our timing ain't just on stage. I'm always on the plane next to the dude who I was on a plane one time going to Milwaukee. Me and this dude was trying to get in first class and we couldn't. And they put us right behind first class, like Hmm. in the curtain. (laughs) And he had this giant ass briefcase, like a really weird looking briefcase, like a, like he had spells and potions in it. It was really big. Like it wasn't a, so I was like, what's in the briefcase? He was like, you don't want to know. I said, I sure do want to know what's a, what you got in there. Some lotions and elixirs. Like, so he said, you really want to know? I was like, yeah. So we laughed. We was drinking. And he said, you sure you want to know what's in the briefcase? Hell yeah. It's like a thick ass briefcase. Uh-huh. So he opened it up and he opened it up and, and like files in a cabinet it was the tips of shoes, of dress shoes. And he was the president of Floorshine Shoes. And they had just bought Stacey Adams. And all he does is go to Macy's and all these different places and tell them, buy a thousand of these and buy 2,000 of these. And he was on his way home for, man, that dude ended up wow. sending me like four pair of shoes, like some different ones nobody seen before. And so it ain't. It's our timing. Like, it's yeah. our figure the odds of me sitting next to the president of some shoes, and I like shoes, and yeah. I can speak on, speak intelligently. You know, I'm not just a, I got to sit next to this black dude on the plane. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? We chopping it up, having a good time. You know? Um, he should have gotten you in first class. Oh, Dude, man. We, that's what we was laughing at. We yeah. were like, I said, because, you know, I was flying standby, and he was like, yeah. I ain't flying standby. I just ain't have enough uh Oh, my damn, I couldn't find my diamond package or whatever he was, <laughs> yeah, you know what I'm yeah, saying? Yeah. So he could have been in first class, but for some reason, the universe wanted us both to sit there together. And that's really the story of my life, man. Uh, you know, from what I said in the beginning, Frank Ski's producer just happened to be at a comedy show that yeah. I was with at Mark Curry. And about that Mark Curry show is my first time featuring at the Improv in Washington, D.C. It's about to be a nice little lick. Probably, I don't know, $500 for the weekend. Or, you know, Saturday, uh, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, mm-hmm. like five shows, six shows. So um, I crushed on the show that she was on. You know what I'm saying? And the next day, Mark Curry kicked me off his show. Okay. Like, straight up. Yeah, like I've heard that before. Yo, I don't yeah. fucking need you crushing the <laughs> fuck on. And then he didn't even tell me. Like, somebody else was like, yo. And actually, the GM of the improv was like, Griff, man, I hate to tell you this, man, but he, that motherfucker kicked you off the show. Son of a bitch. You was too strong. So I hated Mark Curry for so long. You fucked my money up when they did the laughable loser here. His manager was hosting something that I was on a. Uh, panel on and I was like what about that time y'all fired me <laughs> and he was like Griff you was too strong don't nobody want you to fucking Mark was a headliner don't nobody want to work at a comedy club cause a new comedian that he don't know <laughs> he got somebody that wasn't funny straight up I remember it exactly yeah. you when you first started was too strong Yeah. so he said it's a really a compliment I'm sure it felt like shit but yeah, we'll take whoever else is strong too. We don't need you to be strong. We need you to be funny. Do you still get paid for the shows you don't? No, nah, they took me off. They they, they cut the he check put me on he put me on something else because me and the GM was cool. Mm-hmm. I started at the Improv. Yeah, in DC, I started at the, the mainstream club. I, it took me a couple years to be able to do black bars and. You know what I'm saying? Like, I, yeah. I understood the structure of comedy, like working at the punchline with Jamie yeah. you know, here in Atlanta. So. so is that where you started when you moved down here? No. See, when I when I I started comedy April 15th, April 14th, 1995, I started at the Langley Comedy Connection in Laurel, which would be the uptown. But they had a, a, 
a Laurel comedy connection. They had a Langley Park comedy connection. They had a Greenbelt comedy connection. So it'd be like Uptown on Marietta and Decatur, Mm -hmm. Uptown behind Houston's, and then Uptown on Marietta Street. You know what I'm saying? Like, so I started at that franchise of people. I started with Joe Claire and Red Grant and Dominique and Kedar and Jay Phillips. And And that's all in D.C. That's all in Washington. So I'm a West Coast Dude, but I'm a DC comic. Like I'm an East Coast comedian for real. Right. You know. Um, and then when I came down here, of course, Gary wanted me to host Uptown on Wednesdays for the, you know, being on a morning show and getting okay. more people. So I did Uptown and I knew uh Jamie real quick because I wanted to be part of the punchline and did some things with him. So I had a really I had a fable career, man. Like uh I I've I've had a, a very blessed I've I've had a blessed career. And you you hosted a lot of your own shows around the city too, right? Oh yeah, always. Well, see what happened to me is in ninety seven, it was a it was a should I say his name? Uh it was a it was yeah. a it was a dude named Brian. Let me pu- let me pull up my phone. Because it might say bitch ass Brian. <laughs> <laughs> but he wasn't a bitch ass Brian. Um yeah, okay. Yeah, okay, okay. No, actually his name was Brian Dennis. Okay. And he was booking comedy shows at colleges in ninety-seven. And in ninety-seven, I had only been doing comedy two years, but he was giving me twelve hundred dollars. Wow. To to open for somebody else. Wow. You know, who was maybe getting two thousand. And he was constantly giving me work, like, I don't know, eight, nine shows a year that year in 97. Yeah. Well, one day in 97, Brian Dennis couldn't come to the college where we he had already paid me. That was one thing that was great about him. He gave us our deposit and, you know, he gave me 600 in advance and then pick up the other 600. You know, every time it was mm. whew, beautiful. You mm-hmm. know what I'm saying? For two years in the game, $1,200 a couple times. That is, I'm Seinfeld to these motherfuckers. I'll take you that now, man. Yeah. Uh, and he told me to pick his check up because he couldn't, he couldn't come to the gig or something. He's like, Grip, grab my check. I'll get it from you when we go, mm-hmm. you know, to this other gig. So they gave me this check. They gave me an envelope that wasn't sealed. Now, if it was sealed, I'd have never known. We maybe never even having this conversation. I don't know who I would have been today. How much you think his check was? And he had already paid me. I already got my six hundred. The other person got two G's. How much you think, as a comedian, that his check was from the college? Ten, ten grand. It was thirty nine thousand dollars. <laughs> Are you kidding me? <laughs> Hold on one second. Hello? 39K. <laughs> which means he walked away with $36,000 from just that college. There was a lot of money in comedy back in the day. Homie. Yeah. And it is never for us as comedians to say, oh, well, Griff gave me $500. I wonder how much he made. What? You made 3000 You only gave... Because we got our money, and we and we said we would do it for that money. Yeah. So once I learned, oh, that's how you do it. Well, and I, you- never, I never, I never, I, I never, I booked all my own stuff after that. Like, I really was like, I already know what it, you got to get your own money. Then you pay right. people. Like, mm-hmm. I always, now I ain't never been on a scale of Brian yet, but that's one of my goals. Yeah. To But if I got 40 G's from a school, I would, and then I'm just, I mean, that's ridiculous, right? But you could, I could still give you 2,500 and give somebody else 2,500 or maybe even bless another person with a thousand. I mean, but- but you got to think, even $1,000, oh, my God, I just got a stack. Who's going to say, damn, Griff is a selfish bastard? Exactly. You know what I'm saying? So yeah. I never thought of him as a selfish bastard. I I looked at it at, like, 
oh, he got his shit together. You got to have a rapport with the college. You got to mm-hmm. know who the new student council president is to, to make sure they pick your contract of the comedians over everybody else and, and negotiate your budget and make sure the comedians come in. And I understood the business. I start, I understood the business instead of wanting to just be funny. Got the candle lit. Let's get it. <laughs> Turn off the lights. <laughs> you get some. Uh, you get some hot breath water if you want to. So we, we were talking about the business side, and I just want to. Yeah, I asked you about hosting shows and everything around the city because I ask every comedian on this show a story of them getting booed because every comedian in Atlanta has a story of getting booed at some point right. in their career, and Miss Pat who has now moved on the last comic standing and released oh, her own Ms. book. Pat, and, I remember when Miss Pat yeah. is the shit. I'm so proud of her, man. I yeah. remember when she first started, she was all over the place. And then she went mainstream when she went Indianapolis right. and became like that black girl on the white shows <laughs> and fixed her style and stopped and got away from doing black rooms where and start doing a hot... 22 and then turning that 22 into a solid 39, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So I'm, I'm a fan of Miss Pat. I love her. I love her hustle. Well, her story was doing a show where they were throwing Nerf balls at people. That was my show. Yeah. Oh, that was, <laughs> yeah. So I'm always trying to, I was always, you know, to me, comedy is the vaudeville throw a tomato at your ass. Like if you, you know, so I was trying to figure out how I could, and it was a process because some balls was too hard. And so, you know, uh-huh. you don't want to just hit somebody. But I had everybody in the audience had these Nerf balls, these as soft as I could get them. And they would throw them at the people when they was horrible. And I, I was just always trying to not emulate the Apollo or, you know, my thing is to shake keys. If they're not funny, shake keys. Just make like... It should be just as fun as somebody bombing as it is them ripping for the audience. Okay. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I just feel like that. And then then it's still fun because when you bomb and now the audience is uncomfortable and the right. host got to come out and be, and maybe he was funny or she was funny and now they hate the host because yeah. the last person talked about the pastor mama or something. You know what I'm saying? Like, so I just always thought, let's have, if we going to boo people and make them feel bad, yeah. man, let's really hurt their feelings. Let's throw shit at them. So did you start the shaking of the keys or did you hear I that? I saw Coco from Detroit do that at all jokes aside okay. in like 97. Okay. And I was like, I'm taking that for the rest of my life. I love it. I were, love it. Were there any others that you tried, but they just didn't work? Like you did the Nerf balls and the keys. Did you have some that didn't quite work out? Well, with me, when, when the <laughs> bullets, Hey, <laughs> shoot these motherfuckers. <laughs> no, uh, the, the, uh, the, the thing with the keys with me, I would have people shake their keys, and if they didn't have keys, I would make them say, keys! <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, to yeah. me, that's still fun. That still make them fun. And then the crowd get into it. And I, So if you're asking me, what's the, the time I got booed, man? Mm-hmm. The time that I got booed and it meant something... Because, you know, sometimes yeah. first time I started, it was four people in the audience and they booed me. I was like, <laughs> y'all ain't shit. And when I was like, y'all ain't shit, the bartender laughed. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. I was asked this dude, man, how you doing, man? Man, fuck off. Go back over there. And I was like, ooh, y'all came with the best spirit. And the bus boy laughed. So on my first day of stand up, I realized it, man, fuck the crowd. Like, mm. they hate you. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I do it for you. Like as I was making, I made the bartender laugh. I made the busboy laugh. Just because these motherfuckers wasn't laughing, you know. Um, probably in in the in June of 2010, I was on my way to Orlando. I was driving by myself. It was rainy. It was it was just an awful drive, you know. That six hour turned into almost eight, and then I was going straight to the club, changing the 
And then I figured, man, it rained and lightning and thundered the whole way down from Atlanta. I'm a get there. I ain't know. So my spirit was bad. And I was just like, and I got to the club and it was packed. It was absolutely nowhere to park. 400 people in this club. You know what I'm saying? So now I'm still mad. Like now all these people here and it rained and. You know, not knowing that Orlando people don't be tripping off rain. Yeah. Like, it rained there. Like, you know what I'm saying? So my spirit was bad. And then I had got drunk before the before show. I went on. Oh, yeah. And like drinking too much. And, and the dude that brought me on, I, I really put him on. I'm the first person who, you know what I'm saying? Maybe in 02 or something, I put him on, you know? So he was like, man, this is my mentor. This is my guy. Uh, I love this dude. You're going to love me. He started me. If it wasn't for him, I would, you know, get in the best. And I was like, hey, hurry up and bring me on. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I'm drunk, right? <laughs> so, so, <laughs> so he bring me on. And I'm like, hey, yeah, um, okay, where am I? Orlando. It rained and shit the whole way. And everybody was like, mm-mm. And then I just remember mixing punchlines with the wrong jokes and just, you know, how you step out your body and go, you are fucking up. <laughs> no one likes you. Look at the crowd. Get that heat on the back of your neck. Not even the heat, just the, I'm going to tell you, so, and then there was a dude, I kind of joned. He was like, you welcome. Oh, yeah. You know what I'm saying? And then, <laughs> but I mean, the worst hour, just they faces, right? So then when I got off, and then my man went on, and he was like, I ain't expect that to happen. Like, and then he was joning me and shit, and uh-huh. I couldn't even say nothing. I was sitting on the edge of the bar, looking like all movies, telling the bartender, give me another one. <laughs> And and when it was over, my back was to the crowd when they was leaving. And somebody said, there that motherfucker go right there. <laughs> right? That was the first thing. And I ain't say nothing. I ain't say shit. And I was like, I ain't no motherfucker. And then uh, somebody walked, another couple walked past and said, that, that nigga was horrible. And I turned around and said, hey, I'm not horrible. Wow. And somebody behind him said, yeah, you are. <laughs> Just sober. And, that, and, and I remember I watched everybody leave that club, and I watched my man talk to everybody, and I remember not one person came up to me and said, good show. Because it wasn't. 400 people. It was so packed. Oh, I was disappointed. But it was did, awful. They didn't boo you, though. They, they stuck through it? Like They stuck through it. For an hour? But that's worse. That's a million deaths. Yeah. <laughs> You know what I'm saying? That's like an arrow in the chest. Ah, <laughs> arrow in the calf muscle. Uh, arrow in the shoulder. N- not hitting vital parts, but I'm going to stand up. <laughs> arrow in the bicep. Ouch. Arrow in the damn groin. <laughs> arrow in the right nipple. Just getting plucked off. It was worse. If you get booed, at least and quick. <laughs> Cut your head off. Guillotine style. You know what I'm saying? It was the worst. It was the worst. I felt like the gladiator when he was all, when they couldn't kill him, but yeah. they was trying their best, shanking him with everything they could. It was awful, though. That's, to me, physically getting booed, get off the stage. I, I, I don't. I got a short memory for that. Like, yeah. You know what I'm saying? But that 2010 show, homie, that... Yeah. That sucked, dog. I hated it. I hated my. F- and then I drove right back home, cause he was and he was like, "I'm gonna give you this money, but <laughs> just, cause, just cause you my man's in them." But uh, you know, I ain't supposed to give you this money, right? <laughs> and just driving back home the same night, then mm. it rained even more, and I just. Oh, man, and that was it. Make me feel bad again. Just think about it. Like you know, I, what I'm saying. I, I, I laughed. <laughs> That's why I teared up over here, I know, man. I know. As a comedian, <laughs> woo. 
A thousand deaths, dog. <laughs> a, a thousand deaths. And that's not just starting out in comedy. You've been in the game a minute. That's what sucked the most. Yeah. I was in two, I was 15 years in. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah, 10, yeah. 14 at least. You know what I'm saying? So it super sucked. Yeah, it super sucked. <laughs> and how you, you can say to the day how long you've been doing comedy. How long have you been doing? Um, today is the 26th. Um, 19 years, 10 months, a week, and five days. Wow. No, 20 years, <laughs> 10 months, a week, and five days. I'm 21, April 14th. Wow. Yeah. And just to add a little context to comedy, because you have so much experience in it, and you mentioned earlier on Bert from The Bert Show want to kind of bring mainstream and urban radio stations together. Yeah. And comedy is something that's like still segregated. It's like comedy and church are two things that are still. That's funny. That's 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 real. No, you're right. Like, but see, you a white dude who can do black crowds to me gives you a power over. And then your white comedy ain't like Gary's. Or um, Gary Owen? Yeah, it's yeah. not like, you know, Gary really married to a black girl. Yeah, yeah. I think his oldest son might be 17, 18 or something, you know, right, with right. this chick. Like, your comedy just, you so comfortable with black people. And I know that, <laughs> no, I mean, really. And your, your comfort level, you know, comedy is uncomfortableness. And your comfort, your comfort level at an all black club. I seen you at seedy ass black clubs, dog. Mm -hmm. Like for reals, it says a lot about you that you. It's like you already know how the black crowd is. You know what they, you know all they triggers. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, and you got it, and it's beautiful. You know what I'm saying? And. I know everybody like that's a funny white boy and that's a you know that's that white dude but but what's beautiful about you is I know you do mainstream just as hard at your funny monkey uh Joe yeah. Jones that's your mainstream yeah you know what I'm saying like so uh it's white comedians who must just drop their mouth when they see you and like, damn, I could never do that room. What? You doing Carlos's room or K-Dub's room or Ronnie Jordan's room? I saw you on the road with Ronnie. Yeah, we yeah. gonna do something with you. Relax. What you got your but hand I do the for? same jokes everywhere, though. Like, right. I'm not, like, doing different jokes in an urban room compared to a mainstream room. No, I know. Yeah. That's why it's beautiful. But has it always been as segregated as it is now, or was Man, it worse I can or remember. better? You know what's funny is starting almost 21 years, it was an old dude named, what was his name? He was the first white dude to do um, Uncle, uh, what was his, I can't think of his name, but he, he came on with like a, like a rolled up, shirt and he had on a tie dye mm -hmm. john uncle Fam john famous john oh uh, is honest john honest john yeah so he was already old when he did he probably did def jam and he was probably already 44 mm. you know what i'm saying mm -hmm. but he was but he was just slaying and and since then i could say honest john i could say gary owens It's a couple comedians I know that I can't remember their name, but man, it ain't ten white dudes that can do clubs like you. You know what wow. I'm saying? Yeah. Seinfeld don't want to do no black club. Yeah. He don't have to, but I'm just saying, like, if, <laughs> no, I'm cool. I'll do the Fox Theater. Thank you. I don't need right. to do uptown, <laughs> even though I can pack it out. I'm good. You yeah. know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. Uh, so to me, that's a gift for you. And the segregation come from. The same as everything with black people. We just had to do ours so different just to be part of. You know what I'm saying? I mean, Jackie Mason and I'm my, you know, if you ask me who my heroes are in comedy, man, I'm a Steve Martin fan. I'm a Chevy Chase fan. I'm a Bob Hope, uh, 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 George Burns. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. These white people have been doing comedy for 100 years. Milton Burrow. Yeah. Like yeah. literally, 100, Bob Hope and George Burns died at 100 years old. Uh, George Burns was doing Vegas at 96. Like, mm. 
45 minute sets, hour sets, still a 96 with a cigar and brandy. You know what yeah. I'm saying? So that that's just something we didn't have the privilege of being able to get in like that. You know what I'm saying? So we had to do ours way extreme. We had to do it way, you know what I'm saying? Def Comedy Jam was cool. I never taped Def Comedy Jam. And when it first came out, it came out in like 95, 96. I had just been, I wasn't ready. You know, right, I remember right. auditioning and just going, I, yeah, don't even know how to put stuff together like that. Mm-hmm. Good, you know, um, but it gave black comedians a place where they could do them and be comfortable and be good. You know what I'm saying? Steve Harvey, Bernie Mac, Chris Tucker, like the list is endless. And then they all went to do mainstream stuff. You know what I'm saying? But it started from Def Comedy Jam, but then Def Comedy Jam kind of turned into a joke of his own when sketch shows were saying, oh, welcome to Def Comedy Jam. And all you do is say, and then I sucked the titty and the whole crowd laughed. You know what I'm saying? So uh, I, I believe the segregation come from We kind of still don't want you in this, but we know you're funny, so we can't hold you back, back. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So it's not, you don't want us to come together. Because I, I say I, great power. I think it's, I, I mean, man, I love doing shows with you. My wife would tell you, and she here, and she wants, she raising her hand like me in <laughs> class. Uh, we, he's going to interview you, babe. He has a whole no, segment you can, for you. You can hop in. Well, uh, Ma, I really just can't hear you from over there. I truly yeah. just wanted to make the statement. You guys are two comedians, so you're speaking of segregation from the comedian's point. The person is for your artist, for the audience. So the type of person that wants to see your comedy is going to follow you no matter where you are yeah so if you're in a black club and they like i like joel if the person is black they're gonna go if joel is doing a white club they're gonna go so the fan is more i think what happens is to me i feel being a a wife uh, around comedians a lot i think y'all forget the actual fans you forget that it's truly about what we also want in your art what we're desiring instead of you guys basically loving on each other all hard. Do that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, that definitely makes hey, sense. Hey, yeah. listen to this text I just got. Yeah. From Jameson's teacher. Good afternoon, Mr. Griffin. I'm contacting you because Jameson's behavior has been very disruptive lately. She's taken her comedy a little too far, and she hasn't been able to calm it down and control her behavior. I noticed that she was about to have a meltdown, and the student said she was scared they were going to tell that she called one of my second graders a stripper. Jameson was almost hysterical, saying, I was just playing, but honestly, she's been playing too much. The young lady had no idea what she was speaking of because she's younger. Please speak with her about this matter. Her behavior may end up affecting her grade because we are moving rapidly to prepare for the Georgia milestones. Now, Joe. Yeah. I'm going to whoop my daughter when she comes home. (laughs) Okay. Straight up. Okay. Because all our kids are funny, but all our kids are smart. Mm -hmm. And you must know the line. You know Mm -hmm. what I'm saying? You must. All of them done got this same whooping. Yeah, and you have five kids. Yeah, totally. all yeah. of them have got the right back. Can you think of one that didn't? A teacher ain't call us and say he's good and everything else, but today he was. So yeah, she's gonna get her ass whooped when she get home. Yeah, and what I think I'm gonna do, end up doing, is um, making two. Making two. <laughs> yeah. So what we'll do is just close yours out, right? And just you promoting, like, yeah, we'll I make this two. Yeah. yeah. I got to head towards the Jameson is done at three. Yeah, I'll be there. I'm going to be home by three. You going to whoop her or you want me to whoop her? Oh, she gonna, she'll feel it if you whoop her. You know, if I whoop her, she used to me yelling. But when you whoop her, it's a different. I just hate to whoop her, though. Like, but you said on air you was going to whoop her. I was just saying that. You was talking. You was lying? I can't whoop that little girl. <laughs> I mean, what am I do? Should I yell at her or shake her? You should her? whoop her. But maybe the girl was acting like a stripper. We don't know. Okay, all right. Okay, I'll whoop her. I'll whoop her. But I'm not playing, man. I'll whoop her. Oh, this is some bullshit. No, because she you did whoop it. I'm a whooper too. She gonna get two whoopings. Well, I'm a whooper soft then. 
Don't leave. When she stab you and shoot you, don't be saying Tommy Hill. Oh, well, she set your ass on fire and be like, Dad, I she did a bad shoot thing. She on fire because I let her lay in the bed the other day. You kicked her out. That's what I'm saying. But, uh, man, you so but soft, But when I whoop her on the side, who's so soft? This last time when she lied to you about that dang old thing. Um, you know, I just like that she can't. Oh, don't you got somewhere to go? All right, well, thank you so much. Did y'all hear that shit? Yeah, yeah. Did y'all hear that bullshit all the way out? Are we recording? Yeah, it's recording. It's real. We out here. Ah, Wilbur. I'm a. I'm a. I'm a beetle with no clothes. No, I'm gonna tell her put on a jacket and whoop her with something that don't hurt, like a dog. Look at you. Have me in here whooping you with a couch patch, kid. <laughs> I got to say, Griff, you've been super generous with your time and your wisdom and information. I'm so glad you texted me being like, why am I not on here yet? Right. Yeah. <laughs> and then I was like, maybe you don't want me on. Maybe it's um, some Joel and his favorite black people shit. I no, ain't know. You've, like, you've, been, you've been on my list. It's just getting the pre- preparation. You know, right. I have to prepare for these. So I appreciate I, You were on the list, no doubt. Thank you so much. And uh, please, let, you have so many good things going on. Please let the people know what the future holds for Griff. Man, I just wanted to tell all the comedians, get a passport. You get a passport. I see you got yours. I, I got mine. We did a show together in Nashville, and the next week I went and applied for one. I, I got saw it. you took a picture of it. I'm yep. so proud of you. Um, get a passport, man. $100. Uh, you know, if you get a passport, passport events will come to you. That's just the law of attraction. Um, uh, so in December... The, a cartoon that we've been working for mm. six years finally came on Comedy Central in Africa. Um, and now we're about to shoot the rest of the 10 episodes. Um, so that's a great thing that's happening right now. I got a lot of comedy shows in Africa. I'm, I'll be in Johannesburg again February 2nd through about the 20th. I think in April I'm going to be in Uganda or, Jeez. I don't know, uh, Kenya or something like that. It, Africa's huge. You can stay... Three and a half Americas in Africa, so um, it's a it's a lot that I want to, you know. Uh, a pastor told me the other day. He said it's not that you, it's not that you think small and don't have big dreams. It's just how do you eat this elephant one bite at mm-hmm. a time? You know what I'm saying? Today I think I'll have a half a ear, or it goes some ankle meat. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like you just can't. So I just believe. With the gift that we have a comedy, it's a lot of things that we can do, and we haven't even touched the surface of of doing it. I'm a I'm an orator, I'm a motivational speaker, I'm an author, I'm a voiceover, I'm a husband, I'm a dad, but uh, um, as a sperm, I was a comedian. <laughs> Four hundred million sperms in a teaspoon of sperm. One sperm came out and said, "Watch out, y'all! I gotta, gotta be funny. I gotta whoop my daughter. I gotta." <laughs> You know what I'm saying? Like, that's how I look. You got to look at the numbers. Well, what do the numbers say on social media? That was a terrible segue. That was what I just did. Speaking of numbers. Well, speaking of numbers, your social media. Vaughn, three. Ha, 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 ha. Three bots. Okay, okay. Yeah, but your your social media and all that, let the people know where they can keep up with you. Two trillion. Hit me at the number two in the word trillion. Mm-hmm. Two trillion for everything. Website, Instagram, Twitter, everything. Boom. 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 Go Raiders. Woohoo! Thank you, Griff and Tony, for making an appearance. Stay tuned next week for part two with Griff and Tony. They share advice for all people seeking or currently in love. And how Tony won Griff's heart with her pickup line, quote, Hey, you want some... You'll have to finish that sentence next week. Tune in. But in the meantime, you can let me know how you enjoyed this episode by sharing a comment on our Hot Breath iTunes page. And also, keep up with me on JoelByersComedy.com and at JoelByersComedy on social media. And please, also keep up with my engineer, Amon Garner, on Facebook. He can provide anything you need from producing to editing. Anything you have sound related, hit him up. He's your guy. And of course, my theme song composer, at Aaron A. Rogers on social media. Keep up with her as well. We are up to 23 episodes now, so... 
please revisit our interviews with everyone I've had from Last Comic Standing winners to nationally syndicated radio DJs. All in the name of Hot Breath. Hot Breath.